0: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
1: Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live, everyone. I am Josh Nelson alongside Jim Margulis of SoxMachine.com. It is Thursday night, July 29th, 2021. And Jim, Major League Baseball is losing its damn mind as we are inching closer to the trade deadline that is 3 p.m. Central Time on Friday, July 30th. And on this episode of Socks Machine Live, for those that are watching a live stream, thank you guys so much for doing so on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash or on SoxMachine.com or on Periscope. You could possibly be watching us on Twitter right now. If you follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine, you can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh and the two or three people watching on Twitch. Hi, uh, thanks for doing so. And for those that are listening to the podcast version, uh, obviously it is not live. Just buckle up if you are listening to the audio only version, as there is significant trade news trickling in. Once it does trickle in, uh, we'll be covering it during the stream and the recording of this episode. So thank you guys. It's
2: 7.30 p.m. just for your frame of reference if you're listening to this after the fact.
1: Yeah, good point. Yes. So... 7.30 p.m. Central Time is when we are starting. And there are significant trade news that's already happened. Uh, There is mind-melting possibilities as far as trades that could happen. We'll get to those in a moment. And again, when they do happen and they are officially announced, uh, we'll chime in with our thoughts on how it impacts as far as the landscape of Major League Baseball. But Jim... Rick Hahn was busy today. He makes two trades, finding a second base solution and finding help for the bullpen. It's exactly what we as White Sox fans have been asking for for weeks. Uh, we finally get it. It may not be sexy, but you did mention Cesar Hernandez, and we talked about Cesar Hernandez on Monday's Sox Machine Podcast. Lo and behold, that trade comes to fruition, and then Ryan Teper from the Chicago Cubs is the first, as far as addition, maybe the only addition. But there's still time left before the trade deadline. Uh, but Teper coming from the Chicago Cubs to the Chicago White Sox, helping out in the bullpen. Let's start with Cesar Hernandez because that's the that's the first trade that happened as far as Thursday morning. Uh, you were kind of pushing this, Jim. Mm -hmm. As far as an idea of Eduardo Escobar is not going to work out. Why not call Cleveland about Cesar Hernandez? How do you feel now that the deal has been completed?
2: I feel vindicated, triumphant. Uh, Vindication! Yes. No, (laughs) when Escobar came up, when his name came up the first time around, Bob Nightingale, uh, late June, and Bob Nightingale treated it as a foregone conclusion at one point. I thought hey, it's, it's okay. Um, you know, he, he obviously fits the need for filling in at second base and around the diamond if uh, need be there. And he hits homers, the on-base percentage a little low for my hopes. You know, I, I figured that I'd want him hitting, yeah, I'd want the second baseman to be able to fill in at the top of the order if Tim Anderson is not available. Rather than say uh, you know having you know Escobar's 300 you know on-base percentage being a better fit for sixth or below, so I was okay with the idea, but I wasn't thrilled about it. And I kind of mm-hmm. like the idea of Hernandez better, just because historically his on-base percentage, at least last like five or six years. Floated around the 350 mark. It's lower this year. It's kind of in Escobar territory this year. But I was thinking, like, if he could regress a little bit, uh, he's hitting rather low against righties when he usually hits them better. Like, regression should work in his favor. So if the White Sox are buying, they might be buying low and might be getting his better days ahead of him. So I I, I warmed that idea better. So seeing him come along at this particular juncture... Uh, I feel pretty good about it, and even though he doesn't have a whole lot of name brand recognition, having seen him destroy the White Sox uh, in 2020, <laughs> and and you have a couple of good games this time around, although uh, not quite the force he was last year, it feels like he offers the White Sox what they need: uh, good or at least decent defense at second base and power at second base, and hopefully, you know, should uh, his historical performance went out on base percentage too.
1: Yeah, I had to. Bust out the notebook because there's so much that's going on to keep track as far as my notes. Uh, Cesar Hernandez did not have a good start to this season. After the month of April, he just had the one home run and a pretty bad slash line of a 176 batting average with a 286 on base percentage and only slugged 242. And since then, his play has picked up, as Jim mentioned. He had seven home runs in May. Kind of a slow June for him. He only had four home runs in the month. Uh, but in the month of July, he's got six home runs. He's got six doubles, and it's his best slash line, monthly slash line of the season. He's hitting 268 with a 337 on base percentage, and he's slugging five, uh, 561. And one thing that noticed when looking at his Baseball Savant page, Jim, is that from last year, because Hernandez had a very good 2020 season, mm-hmm. um, but 50.8% of the batted balls in play were grounders for him. And his fly ball rate was just 13%. In 2021, that is now a 45.5% ground ball rate, and his fly ball rate has taken a big jump, almost doubling in 2021. It's at 25.3%. And with the weather being warm, playing at Guarantee Ray Field, hopefully a lot more of those fly balls that he's hitting, one out of every four that's in play finds its way in the seats. It's it's kind of hard to imagine uh, saying this aloud, but Hernandez has as many home runs as Jose Abreu. I don't mm-hmm. think I would have ever thought of that, and it's already a career high for Cesar Hernandez for home runs. Uh, but his bat is definitely needed, and so is his glove, uh, because we saw Andrew Vaughn play second base this afternoon in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did okay. You know, he didn't embarrass himself, so... But it's nice that Cesar Hernandez now, and I'm expecting that he's going to be the everyday second baseman throughout the 2021 season. That's the safe and correct assumption, right, Jim?
2: I think so. Uh, And looking at those numbers, too, the launch angle, I think uh, more than doubled, like 5 degrees to like 11 degrees. So definitely looks like a concentration on fly balls looks like maybe you know and and this is my first impression from just the numbers and how they go I'll actually look a little bit more into it but it looks like he's almost selling out for power a little bit which is you know good and bad you know has some trade-offs um I think he's a more effective player when his OBP is 350 although with the way pitching's gone this year maybe like his OBP was going to take a hit anyway and just it's kind of the progression for a lot of hitters just Trade, you know, going for extra bases because, especially like in Cleveland's lineup, which is so thin. You know, getting on base doesn't necessarily help if the guys behind you aren't hitting. So maybe he just feels like it's on him right. for this Cleveland team to just do as much of the extra base work as he can himself. Uh, the good news is one, the White Sox. You know, they didn't need another ground ball hitter, so having a guy who uh, focuses more on getting the ball in the air, ball in air, as you say. Uh yes. the Josh Nelson ball uh, in <laughs> air. Uh, rally cry uh that that should uh work in the white Sox favor also the way the ball has flown and guaranteed right field with that kind of jet stream going to right field over the craft cave for a lefty hitter coming in uh that should also help so here's hoping you know that that you know even this kind of flawed version of ramirez uh has something to offer this team and i think for me it's not necessarily like the on base percentage or the um you know, the, you know, whatever he's doing to get power, because maybe that's in, in this year of baseball 2021, that's the way to go, but just, you know, a little bit better performance, more well-rounded performance against right-handed pitching, I think is what the White Sox need. So if he can at least shore that up, uh, the White Sox can live with maybe other shortcomings or other uh, maybe concessions to the aging process that he's dealing with.
1: And, I really appreciate all the comments that we are getting currently right now from our YouTube channel and other streams. Thank you guys so much for the comments and question. I'm going to pull a question from the comments section here, Jim, from Eric Palmer. Eric's asking, where would you guys put Cesar Hernandez in the lineup? So, Jim, if you were constructing the lineup card for Tony La Rusa, where do you think a good fit is for Cesar Hernandez?
2: I think I would have him, at least for maybe the first week, bet in the top two spots. You know, if Anderson's Mm, unavailable, have him lead off. If he is, you know, just to balance it out, to have a righty-lefty-type look at the top of the order, just to kind of uh, introduce him. That's where he hit with Cleveland. That's where, if he can pick up his production, he'd fit very well. Um, You know, I think the advantage of having him there is that he should get on base at a higher clip. I think he was about 325, 330 in July, and if that continues, like, they can use that up there. He runs well enough. He doesn't really steal bases, but he runs well enough. So if other guys behind him can, you know, put the ball in the gap or uh, even single, he should be able to take extra bases there. And then you'll see how it goes after a week. See, you know, if, if it's not working out, if he's pressing, if he's just, you know, if Mancada picks it up and you want to see him get those at-bats instead, then feel free to, you know, just bounce him around. But with Abreu slumping right now and Anderson kind of off his game, Moncada not doing all that well. It feels like he's somebody who can plug in to the top of the order just for that, uh, you yeah, know, I, I guess the new car smell of it in a way. Uh, just the uh, change of scenery, uh, a new player to play with, uh, a new guy to uh, you know, kind of create different looks in your lineup. And I think that would be at no insult to anybody else just because they're they're struggling. I think there are some guys who can use some days off, even Antonio Russo did that in the last game of the uh, Kansas City series but you know there might be a case where just they might need more days off so there should be room in the top two spots uh to work them in there and then just have the you know whether it's Makata down to four Abreu down to four just you know I think right now the they can use more bodies in the top five of the lineup I think right now the bottom four is a little bit congested <laughs> um it it
1: we've seen some terrible lineups in our eight seasons podcasting about the Chicago White Sox. I've never thought that we were talking about the bottom of the lineup being congested. Um, but I do like the idea of Tim Anderson mm-hmm. and Cesar Hernandez one, two. And again, Jose Abreu has amazing career numbers in the month of August. And I am hoping that he does wake up. Uh, and it is nice to have Loy Jimenez <laughs> in the lineup. I know you laugh. I've been, I've been saying this all season. Yeah. Like it's just, he's in a funk. I mean, the entire team's in a funk. This is a good time for Cesar Hernandez to join the White Sox. In their last eight games, the Chicago White Sox have scored a whopping 17 runs. And that is why they are two and six in their last eight games. You're not going to win a lot of games when you're struggling to put up two or three runs a game right now. And this is too good of a lineup. ...to just be completely shut down by the Kansas City Royals starting pitching. Like, that is borderline inexcusable, and if the excuses are, well, we're tired... ...you you just came off the All-Star break, and I know it's hotter than hell right now Mm -hmm. in Kansas City. It's also super humid in Chicago when you're coming back home. This is summer. Uh, You can't use that as an excuse... The guys have to hit better and they got to stop hitting the ball on the ground. Oh, my. It's just, I'm going to freak out about that. So, anyways, let's move on to a different topic. Uh, Let's talk about as far as the bullpen. Ryan Tapera from the Chicago Cubs, mostly slider. Uh, He throws a slider about 44% of the time. He's got a 94 mile per hour fastball that he throws 43% of the time. And he's got a show me changeup, including as far as his arsenal. What are your thoughts about this bullpen edition, Jim, for the White Sox?
2: I like it. This one I did not call. I was more on the Daniel Hudson bandwagon and, to the extent that I was. And, I was and the problem like, with the Hudson what? bandwagon
1: is that now he's on the COVID list, and
2: and ah,
1: okay. that w- that happened earlier this morning, Thursday morning. I don't know how Washington's okay, going to so trade him.
2: I think I missed that in yeah. all the other news. Uh, yeah. So uh, okay. So with uh, with Hudson, you know, him being ruled out, like Tapera was, you know, kind of on my radar. Um I think I just have like a, I think the White Sox cleaned his clock one game when he was with Toronto and just uh, for for that point on, I just thought, oh, he's hittable. And then, you know, just didn't, paid some attention with the Cubs last year, but, you know, it just looked like a weird reliever year. But now that he's got two years in a row, or at least two half seasons, 60 games last year, and then uh, first half plus this year, now I'm, I'm buying into it. The slider slash cutter, it looks like a, uh, you know, it. It's classified differently depending on whether you're looking at fan graphs or whether you're looking at uh, baseball savant. But either way, looks like a weapon. He's leaned into it last year. And sometimes when a guy leans on a pitch you know, in an unprecedented fashion, changes his entire order. Like the next year round, not as effective, whether it's because you know, he loses some power year over year or gets scouted better. But in this case, really hasn't lost anything. There was a blip. Towards the end of June, like after the foreign, uh, the umpire inspection, foreign substance crackdown, to where his performance wobbled a little bit, and so uh, that's a case where you know just when when I looked at him, checked in the name the first time, I thought, huh, this is a little bit odd. But July's been pretty good. Like he had a he had a week without pitching around the All Star break, came back looking sharp, not walking anybody, striking out uh, a batter plus in in appearance. So yeah, there's based on what, you know what he offers which is, you know, he's been reliable, he's been stranding inherited runners, like he's not goosing his ERA based on uh, letting uh, inherited runners cross and, and saving his own guys. Uh, just a lot to like. Uh, and, and there's always the risk that a reliever can jump teams, jump leagues, and then just kind of lose the magic or a small sample volatility comes in. But, you know, based on what we know, based on what the White Sox need, Uh, It's hard to complain with any of the the elements of his game. Yeah, and looking at Tapera's strikeout and walk percentages against lefties,
1: uh, he's pretty good against lefties, even though he throws right-handed, striking them out close to 38% of the time. He does have a 12% walk rate against lefties, where against righties, he strikes them out at a lower clip at 26%, but he only walks right-handed pitchers uh, a little less than 5% of the time. Uh, so, And DePera is only owed $800,000 this year, and he is a free agent next year. So he'll get a, a pay boost, a pay bump. I wonder with the tempera situation, he even Cesar Hernandez, because Hernandez also has a team option. If DePera has a good audition for the White Sox and you offer him $3 million next year to come back and be the 6th or 7th inning guy. That might be a worthy addition. Hernandez has a $6 Mm -hmm. million club option with no buyout. No buyout for Cesar Hernandez. So the White Sox cannot pick up that option and then walk away. uh, And Cesar Hernandez goes back into free agency. But with these two trades, while they are focused on, let's help the 2021 Chicago White Sox, I wonder if Rickon targeted targeted both of these players because even though it's for this season, he may have some ideas of well, if they perform well, we could entertain bringing them back.
2: They could. Uh, Hernandez was on my list of like second basemen who got. Uh, They took forever to get signed during the winter, like Colton Wong was another one where just the market was so stagnant. Jonathan Scope kind of settled for a one-year deal, and they're all kind of going to go back in the market, basically. Uh, I'm not sure about Wong's option, you know, whether he'll be, uh, whether he has one, I have to look it up. But basically, like, there's just a whole bunch of second basemen, all kind of two to three win players who weren't uh, paid what you think they would make based on just how dollars per wins above replacement usually goes. And that's kind of where I thought along the lines of like, well, you know, Nick Madrigal, you know, if he's uh, somebody who can be traded for somebody, then you can maybe just get by on adequate to good second baseman on the cheap for, you know, kind of a year-to-year deal. Or in the case of like Hernandez, sign him for one year and then have a team option. So there is that kind of idea to where if they like the way Hernandez fits and somebody's interested in Madrigal and you can kind of diversify the roster a little bit, like, wouldn't rule it out, especially since when you think about Madrigal, like he had the uh, fractured wrist last year in Oregon State. He had the separated shoulder his first year with the White Sox. Now he's got the hamstring issue with this year. So like he, from what we know of him, uh, since the White Sox drafted him, like he's not a model of durability. So that is something to consider when it's, it's, you you know, on one hand, it's not a chronic issue. On the other hand, like it's not a chronic issue. It's like different body part fails him every year. And so you could have like a case where like, Uh, you know, the the hamstring gives out again, or the shoulder does. Now you have all these kind of things that can recur theoretically. So if Hernandez is a hit, like if he shows up and he goes nuts and feels like he's a big part of whatever's happening with the White Sox, like there is the option of, you know, having extra infielders and then deciding what to do. So, you know, it doesn't hurt. I think, uh, you know, when you have no buyout, it's kind of like the, uh, you know, on one hand, it's like the Edwin Encarnacion deal from the year before where you know, he had no buyout. And it's like, that's weird to have no buyouts. But if the guy has no markets and, you know, it's it's an added bonus to get maybe like an extra million <laughs> contract, you might not get the year after. Uh, and you don't, and you like the, the situation and such, like may as well. So yeah, it doesn't hurt with, and with Tapera, like, you know, they might be able to use a reliever like him. So if it's a good fit, you know, you could see like a Lance Lynn thing where, you know, just may as well sign where he likes to be. But, you know, given that he's never had that big pay boost, uh, like Lin's at least signed a couple big contracts and extensions in his career. Like Tapera just might, he might want to go for the highest bidder at the end of the year. So that might not be the White Sox. All right. So the White
1: Sox have made two moves. They added the second baseman that we've been asking for. And they've found some bullpen help to help out Tony Larusa. Looking at Zapara probably Aaron Bummer to help out in the 6th, 7th innings of games and then go to the Michael Kopech and Liam Hendricks bridge, even though uh, that bridge was was looking good uh, on Wednesday until mm-hmm. Liam Hendricks gave up the game-tying home run to Salvador Perez in the ninth inning. Uh, and, of course, the White Sox lose 3 out of 4 to Kansas City. Again, it hasn't been a good week of baseball for the Chicago White Sox but you have these two trades again the deadline is 3 p.m central time on Friday and I'm sure there'll be trades announced after the 3 p.m deadline as they trickle into the commissioner's office but Jim are the White Sox done because they only traded Connor Pilkington and Bailey Horn two left-handed pitchers from their farm system And no matter how you break down or what the publication is as far as the White Sox farm system, the White Sox haven't traded away any of their top ten prospects uh in these two deals. So they still have some prospect ammo. Do you think RickCon is done or could there possibly be another move for the White Sox to come? I
2: think there could be one more reliever. There was that weird sequence yesterday in Charlotte's where Jimmy Lambert only pitched two innings and two good innings, two shutout innings, and then uh, they pulled him for Mike Wright, who came in and then wasn't on the eligible roster list because uh, I guess they rotate guys in and out because of COVID and um, and starters maybe are just rotated out to get other guys in. But he wasn't eligible to pitch, so he couldn't pitch. And Wes Helms' plans are blown up, and then Helms wasn't available after the game to talk when he usually he's usually available. So it seemed like maybe Lambert was being held out for a trade, and that didn't happen. So maybe it's the case where he still is, or maybe... He's somebody that multiple teams are interested, in. and I think for a a reliever like Paul Fry's name was mentioned, there was Rodriguez on Pittsburgh, uh, a couple of names the White Sox were tied to, to where you know Lambert might be a fair price for in uh, you know a good seventh inning reliever, especially one who might have uh, team control after the year. So uh, that strikes me as a case where they have guys that can trade. I think Pilkington. Um, he hurts a little bit to lose just because he was part of that good Birmingham rotation. I mean, Cade McClure's had a good year. They just drafted Sean Burke, who is another college lefty that might they might feel can step in and replicate that, you know, polished college lefty uh, with some fastball power um, that, that they can maybe slide into the same idea in their depth charts and not really lose anybody year over year. But he's somebody I think that you know Cleveland might develop. We might see him down the road starting for Cleveland, and you have to feel okay with that. And here's hoping Hernandez, even if he's around for one year, just gives them what they need, and then uh, that's just the, the risk of a rental. I think with uh, Bailey Horn trading him to the Cubs, like if the Cubs make something out of him, uh, congratulations, and, and and that's not like a knock on Horn. It's just there's a lot of work for him to do. Both the, he and Pilkington are kind of favorites of pitch data people. Like they, you know, they drew the White Sox interest because of their uh, TrackMan data and their their Rapsodo data and such. And and you know, Horn is seen as a reliever. So if he turns into uh, Tapera down the road in like three years, then you know, good on the Cubs for doing that. Right now, with the with the dash is really rough for him. So I think you know he's somebody who could just never figure out how high A. And then the White Sox got a good reliever for somebody who just was nothing. So uh, that's just a, a shot in the dark, I think, for the Cubs. But um, you know, should he turn into a beast of a reliever, I'm not going to hold that against the White Sox for making the move. So they still have a lot of uh, assets left because I wasn't thinking Horn. Yeah, I could see Pilkington, McClure, somebody in that Birmingham drawing interest uh, because they just had a lot of pitchers there who were doing pretty well in double A. But uh, Horn, I did not see him with the 189 ERA after his first outing in Winston Salem and, and struggling to get it down to single digits. Uh, to get somebody who can contribute to a contender to a postseason run for Horn, I think is a pretty nice move. Yeah, Rickon
1: again not having to give up anyone as far as in the top ten that was the concern for white Sox fans it's well how big of a move do you make because this farm system is not very good at the moment most publications are going to have it ranked as the worst in major league baseball do you want to flip as far as these prep pitchers that they have drafted in the last couple of years i know it's a tricky situation but the white Sox are in a position to win now and so far after the first two trades they haven't had to give up a lot. Just it's been one prospect. It's one for one deals. It's not multiple prospects in the deals with Cleveland and the Chicago Cubs. So, second base has been touched on. The bullpen has been addressed. We'll see if the White Sox make another trade before the 3 p.m. Central trade deadline. And for those that are on Twitter, I will be hosting a live Twitter space on Friday from 1 p.m. Central Time to 3 p.m. Central Time that you can join. And we'll have others from the White Sox, Blogosphere, Podcasters, Twitter community providing our live reactions when trades are coming in, trickling in right before the deadline.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: But let's change gears here uh, from the White Sox to all of Major League Baseball because, again, the White Sox have an eight-game lead in the American League Central. And we'll get to Cleveland in a moment because there's some significant news coming out of Cleveland this evening as well uh, as manager Terry Francona is stepping down for the rest of the season. The White Sox are in prime position of making the postseason. Uh, The last um, projection I saw, they give the White Sox a 99% chance of reaching the postseason and they have a pretty clear path of winning the American League Central. So we have to concentrate, as far as our attention, on who would be preventing the White Sox from winning the American League pennant, and that's your Houston's, that's your Oakland, your Tampa Bay, your Boston, and the New York Yankees. So let's, you mm-hmm. know, the Oakland Athletics, they get Starlin Marte, that's a pretty significant addition. Houston chores up their bullpen by getting two closers, Kendall Graveman and Yimmy Garcia. Uh, Tampa Bay has already added Nelson Cruz. Uh, The Boston Red Sox are now uh, trying to add starting pitching. And the New York Yankees have already added Joey Gallo and now Anthony Rizzo to their lineup. Two left-handed bats at Yankee Stadium. Uh, I think both Rizzo and Gallo have some opportunities, especially when they're playing at home, to add some more home runs for the Yankees because that's been a struggle for the Yankees this year, which is a surprise is scoring runs. But other trades that have been official, Danny Duffy of the Kansas City Royals going to Los Angeles Dodgers, Brad Hand going from Washington to Toronto. And we still have to figure out where Chris Bryant is going to go, where Craig Kimbrell is going to go, where Jose Breos can go, and where Trevor Story can go. But as we are streaming right now at this moment, as we approach the 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time for those listening on the podcast to track as far as the timeline. This is a mind-melting type of blockbuster trade gym that could possibly be going down between the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Washington Nationals. For the last couple of days, Max Scherzer has been drawing a significant interest and obviously for the right reasons, especially for the contenders, to add an ace like Max Scherzer, who has performed at the highest level as far as the biggest stages, helping the Washington Nationals win their World Series. And him willing to waive his no-trade clause to join a contender and go out west. At one point, it was reported that the San Diego Padres were close to landing Max Scherzer and closing that deal. Well, as of right now, it appears that the Los Angeles Dodgers have swinged the pot. And the Dodgers are not just trying to get Max Scherzer, Jim. They're trying to get Max Scherzer and Trey Turner to join the Dodgers and the Dodgers are willing to give up the 16th number uh, the number 16th prospect in all of major league baseball. Kybert Ruiz, uh, Josiah Gray is also being um, reported as far as part of the package. It, it hasn't been completed yet, but it looks like there's enough momentum that the Los Angeles Dodgers of all teams could be adding both Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. And I really feel like Jim that flips the entire landscape of major league baseball around. Because as a White Sox, and looking from White Sox prism, we have to focus on what the American League teams are doing and how they're getting themselves better, because they are the hurdles for the White Sox of winning the American League pennant. But if you're a White Sox fan and you're thinking World Series are bust, you got to look at the entire league. And boy, if the Dodgers are able to pull off that trade to get both Max Scherzer and Trey Turner... I don't know how anyone can think of anyone else that the Dodgers, uh, to be the favorite in 2021. They would have to be the absolute favorite to win the, the World Series, even though right now they're in second place behind the San Francisco Giants in the National League West.
2: Yeah, I'm not World Series or bust. I'm win a postseason series first and then, uh, See how it goes, uh, but I think should they get to the World Series and should they face a team like the Dodgers and the Dodgers at full strength with Scherzer and Turner, I think like that's an honor to lose to them almost. <laughs> like just such a a, a ridiculous team that uh, you know if you you know, have. Yeah, you throw your best effort against them and you just realize they have stars on stars and stars and no weak link in their lineup and no weak link in their rotation, their bullpens deep. Like that yeah, just case where, yeah, just enjoy the American league pennants. Like there aren't many of those in the white Sox history either. So <laughs> celebrate that as well. Uh, yeah, that I'm, you know, when, when you think about the central and you think about, uh, you know, the uh, Cleveland kind of packing it in, I, I don't think the Cesar, you know, them trading Cesar Hernandez is, that big of a a white flag just because they have guys at the middle to play. And I think, you know, Hernandez being uh, somebody that they weren't going to retain, I think it makes sense for them to play Rosario and Jimenez and just see what they have there. And they could, you know, more or less matches production if things go well uh so it makes sense to get somebody like Pilkington given how their pitching is kind of blown up this year um but yeah, you know, with uh with them trading Hernandez and with Francona missing the rest of the year he's going on medical leave and so he's not gonna be managing the rest of the year it does feel like Cleveland is has their eye towards next year what's next for the entire team new name you know, possibly a new manager depending on how Francona this is the second year in a row now he's had health problems so who knows what his future is like there could just be a lot of uh, tough discussions, maybe some exciting discussions when it comes to the Guardian stuff for uh, Cleveland. But just they look like their team looking for a next era and the twins are selling. We'll see if Barrios goes anywhere. But, you know, it makes me very glad the White Sox are in the ale central and where they can, you know, get a Hernandez and get a. Uh, to pair and feel pretty good. Hopefully, there's one no more reliever coming, but um, you know, then then you can hope that Robert comes back, Rondell comes back, Jimenez comes back for good. You know, he had the groin issue. Hopefully, it's just like a a soreness from from ramping up and just needs a day off, like Berger had earlier in the year from uh, you know wear and tear he wasn't used to. But either way, I think that i just makes me very glad I'm in the uh, or I'm covering teams in the Central, just because I'm thinking about the Giants and how good of a story. Uh, they were thinking that like, you know, they didn't quite uh, pack it in and you could have said the team could have sold off and rebuilt and they've been leading the division for most of the year. And now just having the Dodgers load up against them and and crushing, you know, maybe crushing that. I mean, the Giants have been resilient, but, uh, and then the Padres adding to like if if the Giants lose uh, their spot at the perch of the NL West, it won't be for lack of like anything they did. They're just right. in a division with two uh, incredibly, well, one just deep-pocketed, you know, well-funded, well-stocked team in the Dodgers, and then just another team that's uh, has hyperactive ownership and a and a GM that has no uh, uh, just no qualms about trading and then figuring out where that person's gonna play, whoever they acquired. So it's uh it's cool for baseball. It's good for the activity. It's good for that. You know excitement we've talked about during the offseason where you know the NBA has a flurry of moves, the NFL has a flurry of moves, the NHL has a flurry of moves, and the baseball just kind of stalls, 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 drags it out, and the you know, players settle. Here is a case where you are getting that kind of uh, uh, flurry of moves all done in three days that completely upends the league and gets people talking and uh, gets fans excited, and that's I think uh, a nice uh, boost of energy for a, a league that's kind of needed it the last couple of years. The San Francisco Giants have a three-game
1: lead over the Los Angeles Dodgers right now in the National League West. The Giants are 64-38. and 38. The Dodgers are 62-42, and 42. and the San Diego Padres are 59-45 and 45 in the National League West. The Padres are three games back of the Dodgers and six games back of the Giants. So there is some room to breathe a little bit for the San Francisco Giants. Uh, but Jeff Passon of ESPN, as we were discussing, says that Max Scherzer has approved the trade. He has waived his no-trade clause, and it looks like that Max Scherzer and Trey Turner are going from the Washington Nationals to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And if you're Corey Seager, uh, I think that pretty much spells out your future with the Los Angeles Dodgers unless you are willing to play a different position as uh, that's a good insurance policy for the Dodgers. If they decide to part ways with Corey Seager, Trey Turner will be their new shortstop. Moving forward and there's been a lot of questions regarding the Dodgers starting rotation. They didn't feel comfortable, especially with injuries impacting the starting rotation with what they had. And now you put Max Scherzer into the fold. The Dodgers are looking really strong right now uh, to repeat as world champions. Uh going back to the New York Yankees here, so they added two big bats, Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo. The Yankees right now are 53 and 48. They're nine games back of Boston in the American League East, and they're three games back of the wild card. With those two additions so far, and the Yankees mm-hmm. can make you know more trades. Um, But with adding Gallo and Rizzo, do you think that's enough for the Yankees to overcome either Oakland or even, say, Tampa Bay for at least one of the two wildcard spots? Because I feel like nine games is too much of a gap for them to make up against Boston.
2: It's possible. I think they're in a weird spot. Uh, The Yankees have just been kind of a weird team all year, shooting themselves in the foot, having weird injuries, weird COVID episodes and they just had another one with Aaron judge who had to issue a no comment when asked if he was vaccinated, uh, last night. They, you know, that's just another point of drama. They have injuries with, you know, judge and Stanton and now, now you have Gallo who comes in and doesn't have injuries, but just, you know, we know what his game is homers walks and strikeouts and that's a team that already homers a lot and strikes out a lot and walks a lot. So it's just, I, I don't know if that's a case where, you add another guy, and it you know makes it better. Or in the case of like Gallo, if they're diminishing returns, the uh, being that reliant on three true outcomes, like that's why you know Gallo had been floated uh, as a White Sox solution for right field, and I was always kind of uh, lukewarm to the idea, just because he isn't a whole lot of fun to watch. I get the value, and and I I would yeah. uh, defend that value, but just you know having seen the White Sox have that. With Adam Dunn, to a certain like when even when Adam Dunn had decent years for the White Sox, he still was rough to watch. Um, Gallo can at least play a Gold Glove level right field, so there's that. But just it's an argument that is not a whole lot of fun to try to convince fans week after week, year after year, uh, saying like no, you got you got you got to understand the numbers say this washes out, and nobody's ever convinced, and it's just kind of uh, you having the same discussion over and over again. So that's I think you know based on my interest as somebody who writes and talks about the white Sox, that uh i wasn't all that enthused about it and i think we're going to kind of see that play out a little bit because i think the yankees from following their beat writers and seeing some of their fans complain about how unwatchable the team is that he could maybe add to that that's why i think rizzo is maybe a nice counterbalance because he does put more balls in play he does play good defensive first base i think with uh you know, gallo and right and rizzo at first you have a much better right side of the uh defense for the Yankees uh so there is that but they also you know they, you know Rizzo's had a bit of a down year when it comes to production so they could just be adding um uh, misfit players or players who are very good at skills they already cover and they still need the guys who can actually you know hit <laughs> bat mm-hmm. to ball guys uh you know contact guys to to offset some of the struggles they've had from positions uh you know like up the middle that they're counting on getting that kind of production.
1: Let's say the Yankees don't make the postseason. Do you think Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone return? Cashman seems
2: like he's there, and the Yankees do a lot of things well. Uh, Boone seems like he's interchangeable. Like, I don't know exactly what he offers, um, Yeah, you know, if he, especially if he's like a hand-picked um, general manager type. I guess that could mean that, you know, if this was Cashman's guy, Cashman should go. But I think the Yankees are still good at scouting. You're looking at the um, all the prospects they've been able to trade. And I think uh, their prospect depth is uh, recognized and appreciated by other teams. Even if it's not top prospects, guys, you've heard of household names in the Futures game. They're still being able to be moved for players who can help. So it would seem like if they get rid of Cashman, they're risking that, you know, the one of the things that's made them so good as of late, they're drafting and developing and uh, getting players who aren't that appreciated at the time they're signed or drafted or picked up from a team, dusting them off, cleaning them up and selling them uh, at a higher price. Basically. I think they're really good at that. And Cashman's a reason why. So they, it does seem like they're getting diminishing returns at the major league level and there's some stagnation there, but uh, there are some underlying things that, I think they would might just might need to be a bit more transactional up top, uh, try to swap out some players who aren't getting the job done. Like, you know, Stanton and judge, maybe that's just too much uh, volatility when it comes to health and availability to where, you know, maybe they need to shift one of those guys out if they can or pay somebody's way out of town. Uh, it, it's a little bit tough, but uh, that, that's why I'm curious to see how Gallo fits and whether he'll fit.
1: All right. So let's
2: play a quick game
1: here of where are these guys going? Let's start with Chris Bryant. Uh, so the Cubs have already made many trades, but they still have the two largest pieces available in their, uh, as far as their clearance aisle, everything must go, it feels like, with the Chicago Cubs. Uh, Chris Bryant, where do you think Chris Bryant ends up,
2: Jim? Don't have a strong clue about the, what the Mets are doing, but they kind of seem like a good landing spot for him and his salary. Would they have him at third base? Because he's been playing all
1: over the field. Is that, do you think yeah. that's the thinking? Because don't they have Jeff McNeil at third?
2: Yeah, I think they would probably move him all over just because of their injury concerns <laughs> and their just general uh, problems staying healthy, that they would appreciate the versatility. So I think they would just get him to get him, basically, and see where he fits. Might play some outfield too, depending on what their needs are. Uh, I, I think his versatility works in their favor.
1: Yeah, I, I think the San Francisco Giants should figure out a way to get Chris Bryant into the fold, especially to counter what the Los Angeles Dodgers just did. But I'm with you, Jim. I think it's either going to be, it's going to be either coast. You're going to Queens or you're going to San Francisco, Chris. It's one of those two. Uh, Craig Kimbrell, lots of conversation about the White Sox, possibly targeting Kimbrell to maybe have this super pairing tag team with Kimbrell and Liam Hendricks.
2: Where do you think Craig Kimbrell could go? Mm. Uh, I've been mostly thinking about Kimbrel in terms of white Sox on the field. So I don't have a strong hunch on this one. I would just be throwing out a name on this one. So uh, do you have a stronger team with a tie? I'm not getting a lot of, I'm, I'm just not getting a lot of rumors because
1: there was one crazy idea of, well, Seattle traded Kendall mm-hmm. Graveman and that proceeded to piss off everybody in their clubhouse. And Jerry DePoto's like, wait, hold on. Let's just complete all of our deals and then things will make sense. And they acquired Tyler Anderson from Pittsburgh. I don't think that was going to calm anyone mm-hmm. down. Uh, but I thought, well, maybe they could surprise everyone. They can go get Kimbrel, But instead they end up getting Diego Castillo from Tampa. And I'm thinking Tampa just continues to trade guys out of their bullpen for other pieces right now. So could Tampa – Could Tampa land Kimbrel? Uh, That would be an interesting addition for Tampa Bay. Uh, That's kind of what I'm going to go with right now. It's not clear cut. I I think Chris Bryant, it is clear cut. Uh, You got the Mets that are hot and heavy for him. The San Francisco Giants have been rumored uh, for Chris Bryant. So those are the two biggest pieces the Cubs have left. I don't know. Do you think Calvi Baez gets traded before the Friday deadline?
2: I don't think so. I think Baez is, um, it just strikes me as he's having a weird year, a bit of a down year, kind of a unique set of skills and offense that doesn't necessarily always fit with what teams are trying to do. So I don't know if he'll get the kind of return that I think somebody who means as much to the Cubs as he does, uh, it doesn't feel like it'd be suitable.
1: Jose Breos, now that the Dodgers have acquired Max Scherzer, I think it makes a ton of sense for the San Diego Padres to add Jose Breos as it appeared earlier this afternoon that Scherzer was going to be landing, landing in San Diego, but that's obviously not happening now. Uh, outside of San Diego, can you think of any other teams or maybe the better question is can the Minnesota Twins or I should say do the Minnesota Twins trade Jose Breos before the Friday deadline?
2: It would seem like they can trade them, and they should have enough interest in doing so. The team that jumps out to me that could best use them, and they've been tied to them here and there, is the Red Sox. Hmm. Like they're somebody. They're a team that's a little bit thin. You know, they they've had starters making all their starts. They are getting Chris Sale back, but I'm looking at their rotation right now. Just you know, Garrett Richards has been okay. You know, Eduardo Rod- Rodriguez and Martin Perez they've been okay. But when you're looking like at a top three for uh, the Red Sox, if you're looking to like open a postseason series, if they get to like a, a multiple game round of the postseason. Yeah, right now it's Ivaldi and Pavetta and Richards and Sale might replace one of them. But it seems like they still could use a guy for not only this year, but next year. So it might be a head start for um, you know, getting somebody they, they like for addressing the 2022 rotation. So they seem like a dark horse to me in a, in a, uh, a rotation that could use them.
1: No, I didn't think of the Boston
2: Red Sox, but you make some
1: good points. I I think from a White Sox perspective, I'm rooting for the Twins to trade Jose Breos because it makes life a lot easier for the Chicago White Sox, not just in 2021, but also in 2022 in their efforts of winning the American League Central. If the Twins trade Breos, I'm not exactly sure how they sell themselves that they're going to be contending Mm -hmm. in 2022. Uh, that's just how I feel about the situation with Jose Breus and the Minnesota Twins. Uh, Trevor Story, do you think Story gets dealt before the deadline?
2: I don't think so, or at least I don't know what his market is for, especially like an Rockies team that could give him the qualifying offer. Like it seems like uh, they're at least they have a fallback for either extending it another year if Story feels like the qualifying offer is the best he can do. But right now he just kind of had a down year. Um, Rockies are a tough team to deal with. Like I'm not I don't know if anybody knows who's in charge of the Rockies. So when it comes to trading like a notable player, <laughs> yeah. I don't trust them to be able to do it or have the authority to do it.
1: Yeah, it's but it's such a just... weird situation <laughs> guess, because the White Sox have been loosely tied with Trevor's story. Jeff Passon has hinted about the White Sox interest. I remember during the All-Star break Uh, If, you know, they were asking, because obviously everyone's in Denver, where's Trevor Story playing after the deadline and Passon said the Chicago White Sox and that grabbed everyone's attention. But obviously the White Sox went into a different direction, acquiring Cesar Hernandez to be the second baseman, and maybe it's because nobody knows who's actually calling the shots in Denver right now for the Colorado Rockies, but I'm with mm-hmm. you. I At the beginning of the season, it just seemed clear-cut, yeah, Trevor Story is not going to be on the Rockies after the month of July, and here we are, and I don't think anyone was expecting Max Scherzer and Trey Turner to be traded to the Los Angeles Dodgers, and here Trevor Story's not going to move. I think it's a mistake on the Rockies' part, i think they need to load their farm systems with more prospects uh rather than the offer The the make the qualifying offer watch them rejected and then you get a draft pick compensation what you do with that extra bonus pool money Mm -hmm. and that draft pick i i don't know how that helps as far as the rebuild for them um It'll be interesting to see if the CBA continues the draft pick compensation uh, that still exists. And it'd also be interesting to see what teams give Trevor story that amount of money in free agency, because he's not having a good season and boy, those splits away from Coors field are not very pretty. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Trevor story is a $200 million shortstop Jim. but that, that's, that's what I'm coming down to hundred million. Sure. Mm-hmm. Two hundred million? I I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it.
2: Yeah, the Yankees I guess have been in on story, and that's because Glaber Torres is having a down year, and Rugnet Odor is doing better with it's. It's another case of Yankees getting somebody who looks like he's at the end of the line, and getting a little bit more life out of him. But you know, to have some middle infield insurance should Odor uh, hit a wall, or if Urshela is a little bit iffy, like it feels like they could use somebody to cover up the middle or move Torres over in the case of, you know, if they want to adore uh, to be a part-time player, but either way, it seems like that's a sensible fit and Yankees seem to have prospects people like, so that could be one, one team could go to, but just hard to tell with the Rockies and, and stories just haven't picked a bad time for a down year. And we've heard, you know, you mentioned the, the road splits and I think people have gotten pretty comfortable with understanding that for like cases like DJ LeMahieu and like Nolan Arenado, that, the road splits for Coors Field don't really mean anything. Uh, the, uh, if a guy's really good at Coors, there's the hangover effect and just pitches behave differently, but eventually like their talent wins out when they get used to it. But in this case, you know, Arenado was great, and DJ LeMahieu was great in Coors. Coming off a down year at Coors and then having those road yeah. splits, I think is uh, uh, the kind of thing that maybe free agents coming from the Rockies or – trying to get traded from the Rockies, uh, really haven't had a deal with. So it could be one of those cases where he just is on the market for a while, eventually gets a price that's decent, but not what he had in mind. Yeah,
1: I think Trevor Story and Javier Baez are going to be surprised in not a good way on the type of offers that they're going to be extended to. Carlos Correa, he's going to get paid out of all these talented yeah. shortstops in this class. Correa, I think, is going to get the largest contract out of them all. But Story and Baez... Not the best year to have a maybe maybe bias. it's not so much a down year. just continues to feed into what people point at as far as the bad parts of his game. But Trevor's story is not not having that great of a season offensively. And, uh, yeah, at this moment, as we are at eight twenty, PM Central time for those listening to the podcast feed later. I'm not confident that Trevor's story gets dealt, especially with the New York Yankees going a different direction as far as adding offense with Anthony Rizzo and now Joey Gallo in tow. All right, so that's the trade market right now. And things could progress. The White Sox could make another move. I don't know if it's going to be a blockbuster deal that we've been talking about. It may be just another minor move to help bolster The bullpen, uh, but the White Sox are hoping to get reinforcement soon in Luis Robert and Yasmani Grandol, and those would be pretty big boosts as well. And getting Aloy Jimenez to play every single day and hopefully that right growing tightness uh, isn't serious and he can be in the lineup every day. That would help the White Sox greatly, especially on offense. And that's where we'll end as far as this episode of Sox Machine Live. Looking ahead to this weekend series as Cleveland comes into town for a three-game series on July 30th, 31st, and August 1st, your pitching problems for the Chicago White Sox, and I think this is going to be a topic of discussion. Friday, it's going to be Lance Lynn. Saturday night, it's going to be Dallas Keichel. Sunday is unknown, and... Why this is a topic of conversation is that it's back to Max Starts that Carlos Rodan was not sharp, Jim. He was not sharp against Kansas City. I know the lineup was crazy. It was like super premium Mm -hmm. Sunday version of the lineup. As Tim Anderson didn't play, Jose Abreu didn't play, Aloy Jimenez didn't play. Uh, So the offense was really limited. Michael Kopech and Liam Hendricks were not available out of the bullpen. So even if the White Sox were in a safe situation, I'm not sure who would be closing that game. I think you... Andrew Vaughn
2: started second. Yeah, Andrew
1: Vaughn started second. I I think you pointed out that the White Sox successfully punted uh, that game. Mm -hmm. But Rodon was not sharp, and he was not sharp in Milwaukee as well. And you have a lot of people nationally pointing out that Carlos Rodon looks tired. Uh, is this a good time to give Carlos Rodon additional rest?
2: Could be. Uh, I think with the head-to-head matchup against Cleveland, I think, you know, they're eight games up. It's a case where, you know, at least you want to win one out of three. But, you know, ideally, two out of three, I think, if you win two out of three, you can not punt the third game. Hopefully they have the offense that's, you know, lineup that's respectable. But maybe they can take a chance pitching-wise and, uh, you know, maybe buy a game for somebody you pair it with the off day that follows and just reset the rotation give a a team an extra day off but i think it does make sense for the series that you know should they lose the first game of the series try to win the next two should they win the first two try like hell to win game three just because you don't want to invite um enthusiasm on behalf of cleveland you know knocking down an eight game lead to a five game lead i think that's what they have to avoid here i think cleveland is content to look towards next year i think they just they're short on bodies. Uh, they can use this time to develop. And maybe, you know, should they get some pitchers back? Should uh, some of their up-the-middle players and, like, say, like, Fran Reyes, who's you know, shown some power, like, should he be a fixture in the outfield finally? And should, you know, Rosario and Jimenez work out? Like, they can piece together a lineup that's comparable to lineups they've previously rolled out, as incomplete as they have been, and hope that they get better luck pitching-wise. Uh, but I could also see it just being, you know, with Francona being out, that, Their mind is elsewhere. So I think it kind of, it's, it's, I think maybe it could be nice if Hernandez comes over directly from uh, Cleveland to uh, Chicago, right when Cleveland's going to play Chicago. (laughs) And if Hernandez could have some nice moments and say, like, oh, he's on a winner now. And uh, you guys are not a winner. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Not, not for lack of trying, just uh, end of an era type situation. You know, maybe it's a case where they can. spell reality a bit faster and you know the White Sox can spend most of August and September just coasting but I think at least the first two games of the series are important because you know after that they'll have the Cubs which is always an emotional series they have some series that um, you know where there's familiarity where it's not going to be a cakewalk and you know the White Sox might have thought that Kansas City might have been beatable right now <laughs> and they lost three or four there so the way they're playing the way uh, some guys might be looking tired like I think they can't take Uh, They have a cushion. They should be able to use that cushion, but I think if they can get a series win, if it does look favorable, they should pursue it and then try to rest guys starting using the off day on Monday.
1: Yeah, because if you you utilize the bullpen for the Sunday game and then the off day on Monday, and then you go back to Cease on Tuesday, that gives Cease extra time off. Mm -hmm. It gives Lucas Giolito extra time off. And then Carlos Cerdon could maybe start that Thursday game against Kansas City at home uh, and not having to bat at Wrigley Field uh, against the Chicago Cubs. And then he's had like six plus days to rest and hoping that his premium fastball velocity returns because that's what's been missing in Milwaukee and in Kansas City. It's just that the fastball velocity hasn't been there. That we've, you know, the 99, 100 miles per hour in the sixth inning. We just haven't seen that back-to-back starts for Rodon. And again, this is the first time that he's thrown over 100 innings in a season. I think since 2000, is it 18? Is it later it's than that?
2: 19, maybe. Let me see.
1: I'm thinking it's 2018. It's been a while yeah. since Carlos Rodon has had yeah, 18, obviously, yep. so because of his shoulder. Yes. injury and then it's Tommy John uh so I understand if Rick Hahn and Tony the Russa right now want to give the starters extra days off with them helping with the bullpen maybe that gives Ronaldo Lopez opportunities to act as an opener to see how long he can go as far as in games maybe they're doing rain dances and praying for some rain out so they could have some <laughs> double headers uh, the seven inning variety uh to get through those games without uh having to stretch out as far as their starting rotation the white Sox right now are in a great position to win the american league central and they can do these things where they can give extra rest to their starting pitcher so they are strong and ready to go when the calendar flips to October, uh, because they're going to be reliant. The White Sox will be leaning on them heavily uh, to get through as far as the postseason, to advance the American League Championship Series, and hopefully win the American League pennant uh, in 2021. Because that's still the advantage the White Sox have over other teams in the American League, is they have a very strong 1-5 through starting rotation, whereas the other teams... Tampa, Boston, Houston, Oakland. We could throw in the New York Yankees. They don't have that one through five starting rotation. So makes a lot of sense to me that the White Sox give extra days off. It would also help a great deal if the White Sox offense decided to wake up and start scoring mm-hmm. some runs uh, so it's not too much pressure on the starting rotation. But we will be recapping as far as the Cleveland series on the next episode of the Sox Machine Podcast, which will be coming out on Monday, August 1st. So you guys can look forward uh, to that episode. And uh, hopefully we're talking about another series win for the Chicago White Sox. But that will do it for this episode of Socks Machine Live. Thank you to everyone that watched us on the live stream on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Machine. Uh, also, for those that were watching via Periscope on Twitter, thank you guys so much for watching. And, of course, the few folks uh, over on Twitch watching us. Thank you guys so much for doing so. If you just discovered Socks Machine, you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Socks Machine. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Socks Machine underscore Josh. And for those that missed the live streams, you can subscribe to the Socks Machine podcast wherever you get podcasts like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. Uh you can subscribe to the show that way. Uh and you can also help support Socks Machine by becoming, by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreoncom machine where our Patreon supporters get additional coverage, they get exclusive coverage of the White Sox. They also get an ad-free version of both the podcast and the website. And when we have new swag items like the Sox Machine ball caps that came in, they get the first opportunity to purchase those swag items. So if you enjoy your work and you want more from us, go to patreon.com slash to sign up today. Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening.